Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about Carlos the Jackal, the infamous terrorist, hijacker, bomber and assassin, whose name was supposedly the stuff of legend. But were any of his atrocities so skillful that they deserved such a feared reputation? Or was he really just a cack-handed twat? Murder Marley's research used in authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And as a dramatisation of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast... You'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael. I am your tour guide. And this is Murder Mile. Episode 129. Carlos the Jackal or Jackass. Today, I'm standing on Queen's Grove in St. John's Wood, NW1. Three streets north of the elementary murder of William Raven. Two streets west of the home of the fallen police hero, Jack Avery. Four streets northwest of the severed torso of Hannah Brown. And a few bus stops north from possibly one of the first unsolved murders by the Blackout Ripper. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Situated north of Regent's Park, Queen's Grove is posh. Very posh. With the average house priced at £3.2 million, and with some selling upwards of eight. Many have nine bedrooms, five bathrooms and two kitchens. As well as a sitting room, a drawing room, a sketching room, an etching room and a doodling room. With a pantry where possibly they keep their pants, a scullery to store the skulls of their dead servants, a winery where they whinge about posh things, and none of them own a telly over 50 inches, as that's regarded as unseemly and vulgar. 
as a very quiet and private street. Far from anything as uncouth as a corner shop or a vape emporium. This is not the sort of area you might see youths playing footy, unsavoury types imbibing a reefer, or even spot a set of Ugg boots. Perish the thought. That said, scandal does happen here. Whether affairs with the nanny, an occasional dead butler, or a billion quid siphoned off to Bermuda. But it doesn't seem like the kind of place where a terrorist would cut his teeth. On the corner of St. John's Wood Road sits 48 Queen's Grove, a two-story, 30-roomed house made of brown bricks, white Doric columns, and secured by tall trees, thick walls, and a wrought iron gate. Since the 1950s, this was the family home of Joseph Edward Seif. As a beloved businessman and a heartfelt humanitarian, Teddy was a good man who dedicated his life to helping others and asked for nothing in return. Not money, not a name, nor anything as crass as celebrity or fame. And yet, having been placed on a terrorist kill list, his life was spared by the incompetence of his would-be killer. As it was here, on Sunday the 30th of December 1973, that Carlos the Jackal would attempt his first murder, only to balls it up, as he always would. It's easy to create a legend if you gloss over the failures and mistakes of the truly inept. Carlos the Jackal was born Illich Ramirez Sanchez on the 12th of October 1949 in Michelina, an affluent rural town on the western border of Venezuela, to a loving mother but an overbearing father. Professing to be a communist, all three sons were named after Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, founder of the Soviet Union. But in truth, as a wealthy lawyer living a privileged life, he was little more than a champagne socialist. Raised in a Marxist ideology, whilst wholeheartedly quaffing the fragrant fruits of their capitalist spoils, Ilyich adopted these principles. Age 10, when this little boy should have been climbing trees, Illich joined the Venezuelan Communist Party. Age 15, he organized anti-government demonstrations for the Venezuelan Communist Youth League. Age 17, he attended the Tricontinental Conference in Havana and was allegedly trained in guerrilla combat tactics at Camp Matanzas. And although the Cold War would creep closer to Armageddon. A greater conflict was fought closer to home. In 1966, his parents divorced. Jose, his father, wanted Illich to stay in Venezuela and remain a Marxist. But Elba, as a good mother, wanted a better life for her boys and moved to West London. 
Illich had only ever read about the decadent excesses of the capitalist West. But now he was living it and loving it. His new life was affluent but stable. He lived with his mother and brothers in a flat on the prosperous Kensington High Street. He was educated privately at Stafford House College and later at the London School of Economics, where his teachers described him as cocky, brash and rude. Being obsessed with spy thrillers, Illich would sit transfixed at the cinema, watching Dr. No from Russia with Love, Goldfinger and Thunderball, all while dreaming about being James Bond, dressed in a sharp suit, driving a fast car, swigging Bollinger, blowing shit up and making whoopee with a lovely lady. So looking like a tall, fat Austin Powers, Illich drank, parted and royally shagged his way across London. In 1969, Jose sought to rectify this by enrolling Illich at the Patrice Lumumba University in Moscow, a radical hotbed of foreign communists named after the assassinated Congolese leader. But loving too much his life as a low-rent Lothario who dined like a decadent dandy. One year later, Illich was expelled. Feeling a failure, in July 1970, Illich joined the PFLP, the Popular Front of the Liberation of Palestine, an anti-Zionist terror group who drew attention to the plight of their occupied lands through high-profile hijackings, bombings and assassinations. Trained in terrorism, it was here that Illich was given the first part of his infamous nickname not in tribute to a fallen hero, as many of his fellow fighters found him lazy and aloof. But being surrounded by Arabs, they all called him Carlos to mock his South American roots. In 1971, following the Black September uprising and the bombing of the Palestinian camps, co-leader of the PFLP, Wadi Haddad, ordered Carlos back to London to set up a European base. Which he did. Sort of. Seen as a cocktail party swinger, Carlos returned to his playboy lifestyle. Boozing, schmoozing, and bedding left-leaning ladies, who he used to hide his stash of cash, fake passports, and illegal weapons. For his first solo mission, he delivered machine guns to the fanatical Japanese Red Army. And although he claimed he had taken part in the 1972 Munich Olympics massacre, he didn't. Carlos was nothing. He was a driver and a bagman with a mixed-up ideology, who the PFLP had very little hope for and MI5 had misplaced. Carlos wanted to be infamous, a celebrity and a legend. 
but that's impossible to achieve when you've done diddly squat. Born on the 28th of November 1905, Joseph Edward Seif, known as Teddy, was one of two sons to Ephraim and Sarah, a highly respected couple from affluent Jewish families. In contrast to Israel, his much bolder brother, Teddy was a sweet, softly spoken and sensitive man who many described as a quiet shadow. Educated at the prestigious Manchester Grammar School, alongside his brother, he befriended Simon Marks, son of the co-founder of Marks and Spencers, and the three went into business together. In 1933, Teddy played a key role as the store's merchandise developer. But he never let his wealth, class or seniority dictate how he spoke to those below him. As in keeping with the founder's motto, if a canteen is good enough for the staff, it's good enough for the bosses. Even as he was promoted to company chairman, the staff would always love and respect him. In 1952, he met Lois Ross. That same year they married, they had a son. And two years later, the family moved into the affluence of a well-protected home at 48 Queens Grove. By 1972, age 67, with a mop of white hair, his voice like a polite whisper, and his sweet face softened further by a set of owl-like glasses. This quiet shadow had earned his retirement. Teddy always had a big heart and deep pockets. Not because he felt he had to, but because he cared. Following surgery in 1966, he donated £50,000 to aid the renovation of the hospital's wing. He personally thanked every nurse and matron. And as an extra thank you to these NHS heroes, he gave them two weeks' salary each out of his own pocket. But this was not an uncommon act of generosity for Teddy, who always thought of others before himself. Top of his philanthropic agenda was the plight of children. Using his influence, he helped to build primary schools, develop educational programs and support humanitarian causes, especially in the volatility of the Middle East, as when wars erupt, it's always the young who are affected the most. As a Jew, who strived to fight anti-Semitism his whole life, this quiet shadow gave a powerful voice to the poor and the helpless. And although the 70s were a turbulent time for many, Teddy had no enemies. Or so he thought. 1973 was a year of violence. With the eruption of the Arab-Israeli war, world trade slowed to a crawl by an oil embargo. And miles from the hotly contested promised land of Israel, cities were crippled in fear as terrorist groups like the PFLP launched hijackings, bombings and assassinations. 
in October 1973, Sir John Cohen, founder of the Tesco's empire, had warned Teddy that he was one of 30 prominent Jewish businessmen who were on a death list of the PFLP. Scotland Yard were notified. Tensions were high, and every possible target was on the lookout for suspicious packages. As that month alone, three booby-trapped firebombs had exploded outside of several Marks and Spencer stores. Terrorism was the hot topic on everybody's lips. And with the newspapers being for a James Bond-style assassin who was suave, daring and brave, Carlos was eager to be seen as a celebrity terrorist. The problem was, he was inept. The evening of Sunday the 30th of December 1973 was the epitome of foreboding. As a bitter icy wind howled and whipped dead leaves down the desolate streets of St. John's Wood. Just shy of 7pm, a lone man stood below the unlit streetlight outside of 48. His frame and features disguised, as with Britain in the grip of a miner's strike, many lights were off, both inside and out. But standing six foot and two inches tall, and sturdily built, this stranger was hardly inconspicuous. As with black leather gloves that creaked with each crinkle, and military boots that clumped like Frankenstein's monster. The round little baby face of 24-year-old Illich Ramirez Sanchez was masked by the fur-lined hood of his green army parka, his scarf as red as a communist flag, and the thick black rims of his trademark glasses. So lucky for him, being a typically British winter, he didn't look too foolish or sinister. In his pocket, he held a gun. A Russian-made Tokarev 7.62mm pistol, fitted with a clip of eight rounds. As an assassin's tool, it was fine. On the plus side, it was pocket-sized, the recall was short, and the explosion was quiet. But on the downside, the aim was terrible, it lacked power, and it was prone to jamming which was odd, as hidden in a bag at his girlfriend's flat was an arsenal of arms to choose from, including a British-made Browning HP MK1, a reliable, high-power semi-automatic pistol with two to three times the bullet capacity. But being a playboy Marxist with daddy issues, he opted for the Soviet special and I guess it would be a little cruel to gloss over the fact that, in his hideaway, was stashed several grenades, a few pounds of explosives, and a cache of spare bullets. So on his person, that night, he could have held a backup weapon should anything go wrong. But he didn't. It's unknown whether this was confidence, cockiness, or incompetence as the murder of Teddy Seif was meant to be the hit which would make his name 
as a celebrity terrorist. And yet, he hadn't got a getaway car, and he didn't have a plan. He was just going to walk up, knock, and shoot. At 7pm precisely, Carlos pulled open the black wrought iron gate of 48 Queens Grove, walked up the short unlit path to the Georgian mansion, and to the right of the black front door, he rang the doorbell. With a loaded pistol clutched in his fist, this would be an easy hit. As unlike many other prominent Jews on the PFLP's death list, his target had declined a police guard. He was clearly in. And being a big-hearted philanthropist and a man of the people, strangers were always welcome at his door. But that was Carlos's first mistake. Teddy Seif was rich. And rich people never answered their own doors. Peeping around the black front door, Carlos was confronted by Manuel Puloira, the Seif's Portuguese butler. Thinking quick, before the hired help could slam the door shut, he poked the pocket-sized pistol in the servant's face, and in a heavily accent voice, he growled, Take me to Seif, which the butler did. By 7.01pm, Carlos was in. But with his mission already messed up, he had no plan of how to get out. Standing in the opulent reception of his target, for a brief second, Carlos looked at the artworks upon the walls, a Gainsborough, a Tiabulo, and a Warhol. Only he wasn't here for a robbery, he was here to kill. So jabbing the gun's muzzle in the butler's back, Silently, he frog-marched Manuel up the staircase, having ordered him to call his master. That was Carlos's second mistake in as many minutes, as being so disliked by his fellow fighters, forced to act as a lone assassin, he didn't have a spare set of hands when he needed it most. So, Mr. At 7.02pm, Teddy didn't reply. Instead, his wife Lois did. But being in the midst of changing for dinner, she didn't exit the bedroom where Teddy was, but her dressing room directly opposite. So seeing her butler being held hostage, she locked the door, telephoned the police, and the officers were dispatched. At 7.03pm, Perched behind his petrified prisoner, Carlos slunk into the master bedroom, but Teddy was nowhere to be seen. And hearing the distant wail of sirens, he knew that time was running out. So as the door to the ensuite bathroom opened, the two men came face to face. It was no match. An armed assassin, trained by the Iraqi military, and a half-dressed male in his late 60s, 
with thick spectacles, a bad back, and a recurring heart problem. In short, Teddy was as good as dead. From less than a meter apart, the trigger was pulled, the muzzle exploded, the gun jerked back, and in a hot flash of fire, a round of burning lead hit Teddy squarely in the head. Instantly slumping down to the floor, Teddy lay unconscious and helpless, as blood poured and pooled from his pale face. As the sirens drew ever nearer, Carlos aimed his pistol at Teddy's brain. One last shot to finish off his target forever, and having cemented his place in infamy, the celebrity of Carlos the Jackal would be born. But as it often did, the gun jammed. And with no backup, no spare bullets, and no time to unclog the chamber, by 7.04pm, Carlos had fled through the back door, just as a squad car had arrived. It wasn't perfect, but he was in and out in less than four minutes. His identity was hidden, and his target was dead. Or so he thought. Teddy was rushed to the Middlesex Hospital, and although he had been shot in the face, the bullet was deflected by his teeth, it missed his jugular vein, and lodged in his jaw. An operation successfully removed the bullet. He jokingly said that his life was saved by his milk marketing board teeth. And a few days later, Teddy was released, with nothing but a small mark on his lip, which looked like a coal sore. Teddy would live a long and happy life. He died of natural causes in 1982, nine years after he was shot. The PFLP took full credit for this ineffectual shooting, and the career of Carlos the bungling terrorist had begun, with no one quite knowing who would get hurt when this cack-handed twat was running amok. On the 24th of January 1974, he threw a bomb into the Hapaulin Bank in the heart of London's banking district. It bounced off the ceiling, smashed a bulb. No one was killed, but it did make a small hole in the floor. On the 3rd of August 1974, he exploded three car bombs in Paris against two right-wing newspapers and the offices of the Jewish Social Fund. Three cars were wrecked, no one was hurt, and very quickly their work resumed. On the 15th of September 1974, two grenades were thrown into a cafe in Paris. Two people were killed and 30 people were injured. And although he took full credit for the attack, Carlos has since denied he had anything to do with it. On the 13th of January 1975, he fired two rocket-propelled grenades at an LL airliner taking off from Orly Airport. 
only it missed completely and destroyed the Park DC-9, an empty storage building. And as he tried to flee, he shattered the windscreen of his getaway car owing to the recoil of the rocket. As an assassin, he did have some successes. But many of them have been through luck rather than skill. So how did such an incompetent klutz become one of the world's most infamous terrorists? Simple. He was the right man in the right place at the right time. Terrorism was hot, spy thrillers were all the rage, and the press wanted a suave, dangerous playboy who, unlike James Bond, was real. On the 1st of July 1975, a bag belonging to Illich Ramirez Sanchez was found hidden in the top floor flat of his friend Angela Otiola. Inside, police discovered several passports under six aliases, a consignment of C4 explosives, three guns, including the pistol used to shoot Teddy, and the death list of the prominent Jews. For the press, this was front-page stuff. But the one detail they drooled over the most was that, inside his terrorist toolkit, he carried a copy of Frederick Forsyth's thriller The Day of the Jackal. Three days later, the police proclaimed Illich as one of the most cold-blooded and dangerous terrorist leaders in Europe. Which was true, if you choose to ignore all of his mistakes, failures and blunders. After that, the press nicknamed him Carlos the Jackal, and the rest is history. On the 15th of August 1994, Carlos was captured in Sudan and extradited to Paris. Today, age 71, he's currently serving a life sentence for the murder of an informant and two counterintelligence agents, plus an additional life term for killing 11 people and injuring more than 150. As of today, this celebrity terrorist remains cocky, arrogant, and unrepentant for his crimes as ever. And he has never been charged for the shooting of Teddy Seif. So ask yourself this. Is he really Carlos the Jackal? Or is he Carlos the Jackass? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. If you enjoyed that, there's at least half an hour of tea drinking and utter waffle after the break. If you like it, stay. If you don't, go. It's not for everyone, hence it's an extra part of the podcast. But before that, here's a true crime podcast, which may very well be that first mouthful of a pint of pink angel delight. Mm. Hello, my lovelies. My name is Chantelle and I'm the host over at Lady Justice True Crime. Lady Justice is a weekly podcast that covers fascinating cases, both past and present, from around the UK and Ireland. Some of them are strange, many are unbelievable, all of them are completely unique. 
under someone's story. So please come join me on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters who are Jay Jones, Lord Ponsonby Farquhar and Fredo. I thank you all. I hope you got your new goodies. As well as those Patreon supporters who are currently enjoying their very exclusive Blackout Ripper mugs and Blood Red Keevings that I've made. Ooh, they're only available by Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you get lots of goodies, plus exclusive merchandise. Ooh! Plus a thank you this week to an anonymous donation via the supporter link. I thank you. And also a thank you to everyone who keeps listening to the show and sharing it with their pals. It's very much appreciated. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Cripes. Good, good, good. Oh, you annoying little bastard. Oh, hello everyone. Welcome to Extra Mile. Oh, you're not the annoying bastard. It's my chair. It's, it's been... Every time I move, it makes a little creaking sound. All of it creaks, and it normally it doesn't, but today it's making mega creaks. Right, I'm just going to get rid of... Oh, there we go. Going to get rid of the pillows that are behind my curtains, behind me, because... Uh, got a duck that's out on the waterway, and it's being a real pain in the ass today. It, it's one of these ducks that's like, rah, 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 rah. It does that for hours. And it's just it's just like, you're a sad little fucker. Just go and get a life. Go and get a job. And he's like, no, I want a shag. Rah, 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 rah. Annoying little bastard that he is. So, uh, yeah, I've had all the windows are shut. All the doors are shut. Oh, dear. I'm going to open some windows. Let me get rid of the uh, my little protector thing here. It's a little sound deflector that stops 
hopefully it stops all the extraneous noises coming through and I've got some uh, kitchen sponges on top which help as well that's all very good all aims to try and make uh, murder mile sound a little bit better than uh, uh, it used to gonna put on my tea oh dear oh sitting in the wrong position for too long yow what are we gonna have tea or coffee let's go tea wow my life is exciting Whoa. not doing a proper tea today uh with a uh, proper tea bags well with a uh, uh, loose leaf tea i'm doing tea bags because i'm feeling lazy uh fortunately no cake today no cake because um we've been told to move our boats well we weren't told to move our boats the uh, uh, licensing authority who look after waterways can't be asked to tell us. Normally, normally they send us an email saying, don't move. Uh, and then when it's time to move, they say, do move. But I, I found out by mistake that we were back, we were meant to be moving again. Uh, when people started saying, oh, oh, we, oh, we've been told we haven't moved enough, we're being fined, we're having our licenses taken away. And that's because CRT have, they, they've put it on their website and they're like, oh, check the website. I was like, oh, shit. I checked I checked it at the start of the week it was fine I checked it on the Thursday and then I realized it literally they said okay start moving your boats now or as they said they said comply with the old regulations whatever frick that means so I was like shit so I woke up at 5am and started moving my boat so I've moved which is great I'm in a nice place places I can, I can have nice walks but there's uh there's very few shops, almost no shops nearby. So it's a big walk to go and get cakes. And I did a big walk yesterday and I just couldn't be asked. in the end. Oh, who cares? So, uh, yeah. So uh, all is going well here. I'm trying to get myself a, a couple of days ahead because next week, by the way, well, if you get this on Thursday, then the day after that, Friday, I'll be getting my vaccine. Jab number one. Whoa. So I'm trying to get my, I think I mentioned before, I'm trying to get myself a couple of days ahead. So if I get sick, I can afford to get sick and the podcast doesn't get put behind. Some people I know all they've had is like a little bit of a tingle in the arm. Some people have felt a little bit shitty for a day. Some people I know have been shitty for like three days. And I just, I can't afford three days of just doing nothing. So that's happening. So I'm doing that. But also I'm trying to get, claw some time back. Because in June, hopefully I get to see my dad and my stepmom, which would be good. Haven't seen uh, them for two and a half years now. So, uh, yeah. So if you are uh, trying to get uh, messaging me and say, oh, can we have uh, private tours uh, in May, June? Nope, not going to happen. Literally, I'm getting my vaccine and I need to go and see family. Priority one, I really don't give a crap about tours at the moment. So it's uh, seeing family is priority number one. Uh, if it means if it means losing time on the podcast, I'll dump the podcast as well. But there we go. Um, priorities, people, priorities. Uh, so, uh, as mentioned, there's uh, some uh, new Murder Mile mugs. What I've deliberately doing, I'm trying to lure people into the the Patreon account. It's it's, it's relative, it's affordable, and you know, I, I'm trying to give them kind of exclusives on there. So I did some Blackout Ripper mugs, which were very exciting. Red mugs with uh, the Blackout Ripper logo on it, and on the back is the Murder Mile logo. They're very exciting. They were available via Patreon, and then with them, I did some. Uh, some uh, very new kind of uh, blood red acetate kind of murder mile key rings, which are very exciting. So I only did 10 of those. Even I haven't got one. I literally, I sold all of them within an hour. Uh, so they've worked their way off around the world. Let's set that bag do there. Even though I'm not gonna be doing the loose leaf tea, 
Mr. Dom, I, uh, I'm actually using the green, uh, what I call the green tea uh, uh, crack pipe. I'm using that to strain the bags. I found that really useful. It drains, strains the bags very useful. So, uh, but I will be doing a nice loose leaf. I do it as an afternoon thing because I find loose leaf tea more refreshing in the afternoon. So I do that. Uh, so yeah, uh, so the Blackout Ripper mugs uh, went really quickly. Uh, I'll probably make some more. I can't... I, fi I find that the ones on Threadless aren't, p aren't particularly that good. They're impossible for me to edit. And also, you know, I don't make much off it. And I, I don't make much off the mugs anyway. But the Blackout Ripper mugs, uh, I don't really have space on the boat. And also I'm miles away. So it's a real pain in the ass. Like I, I literally have to, like, if I get 20 mugs, I have to fill up two rucksacks and have two side bags and I have to carry them all the way back and it's a real pain in the ass and I've got nowhere to store them as well and then you've got to get to the, the post office too. they're a real pain which is why there's only 10 mugs each each go so did the Blackout Ripper mugs they went well they, they've they been uh, they've gone off uh, and I've just made oh he's going to be very excited about this I made some uh, Police Constable Arsenal Guinness mugs there we go you can drink your Guinness out of them so I've made some PCAG mugs uh which is good and i've made some ridge christie mugs as well so uh they're going to be available um they uh, to, to keep it exclusive they'll be available via patreon first uh and as we go throughout the year then i'll make them available on the website as well but um it's key i'm trying to get people to to join patreon that's kind of uh quite important for me at the moment that's how how money gets made and how the podcast keeps running it literally is a lifesaver at the moment because advertising sales are not particularly good uh and because i'm not famous you may know notice that i don't like once like once a year i'll get like a a special advert that i get to record myself yet they don't happen why because i'm not famous you listen to one of mark commode's freaking podcasts through the through acast as well yet he has, a, he has at least five each episode that he and he makes a freaking fortune off that because i'm not famous we don't get them Anyway, right, let's, I'm going to do the quiz, I'm going to grab my tea, and then we'll come back, and then we can dive into some details for this uh, episode, uh, because there was a lot that I missed out, I had to, because kind of Carlos's story is quite big, but I wanted to focus on the London bit, but I uh, hope you enjoyed it, it was a good episode, I thought so, something different as well. Right, here we go, quiz, get yourselves ready, don't forget I might ball some of this up by giving away the answer in the uh, uh, bit in the second, or if I edit this part if I edit bits out of the episode, this question may not appear in the episode. But Extra Mile is not edited, so there we go. Question one. Where in London did Carlos live with his mother and brothers? You can name the part of town or you can name, you can name the, the street itself if you like. Question two. Which two universities did Carlos go to? Mm. Question three. Carlos's name, Carlos's first name was Ilyich. But what were his two brothers' names? Ooh. There were some difficult questions this week. Question four. What was Teddy's nickname? That's quite an easy one. This chair is still making a nasty creaking sound. Question five. What did Teddy say... What did Teddy say saved his life? Question six. Which infamous terrorist attack did Carlos claim that he was part of, but he wasn't? 
Question seven. Who wrote the novel The Day of the Jackal? Question eight. Teddy had two wives. Name them. Question nine. Where did Teddy's butler come from? I mean, this is where we all get our butlers from, isn't it? Uh, Question 10. uh, Why was he known as Carlos? Right. Good. They're the questions. We will do the answers very shortly. Let me go and grab my tea. Tea and no cake, no biscuits. Although, oh, there is a Wenzel's nearby. Oh, Wenzel's. I was, uh, hang on. Oh, where's my tea bag gone? Oh, it fell out. Oh, there we go. That's that's the excitement for the day. Michael's tea bag fell out. I was at a Wenzel's. I went past a Wenzel's. I was having a big walk. I went past a Wenzel's bakery. Uh, and I walked in, I was like, oh, they do really nice Belgian buns. Not as good as uh, uh, Griselda's over in Stamford Hill, but, you know, a close second. Uh, and I walked in there and I went, oh, yeah, can I have uh, uh, two uh, Belgian buns, please? Uh, and I'll have a, a, a coffee as well. And there's a guy next to me and he'd ordered his stuff and then he went, oh. Yeah, can I have two Belgian buns as well? I was, I was like, I was like, oh, they lure you in, don't they? Don't they? And he was, he was like, oh, I'm trying to be on a diet, but I was like, you can't, you can't be on a diet when you're near a Wenzel's Bakery. Wenzel's Bakery. If you want to, you can sponsor this show if you like. Uh, <laughs> God, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Oh, they do really good, really good sandwiches as well. And do you know normally with a, a meal deal sandwich like you know the the supermarkets, the the, the sandwiches are a bit floppy, and you know the drinks aren't particularly good, and the the cakes aren't. You know, it's normally kind of the cheap shit. Whereas if you go into Wenzel's, big fat kind of bloomer sandwiches that are really nice, and then you get a cake or a really really nice donut, and you get a drink as well. Well worth the money. Right, let's dive into some stuff and then we'll, we'll do the answers to the questions. So, uh, 1973, let's put it in context. Uh, th- this was a time in the era where where bags really weren't being checked going through airports. So if you're wondering how he was kind of smuggling guns and explosives into the, com- into the country, pri- this was prior to the kind of... Uh, era of airport terrorism so your bags weren't being checked uh, as they're going into the airport you know when you go there someone doesn't go did you pack this bag yourself do you uh, check this list is there anything on there that you're not allowed your bags aren't x-rayed basically they're just thrown in the back of the hold so it was really easy to kind of smuggle in guns and kind of whatever you wanted to really explosives things like that but uh, a lot of terrorism going on. We've got the IRA going on. We've got the kind of uh, Spanish separatists. You know, all of this is going on. So there's a lot of terrorism happening in this era. It's all very exciting. Um, so why why have I put this here? Oh, yeah. So I'm not going to dive into anything to do with the shooting because everything that we need to know about the shooting we've covered. Uh, that was a real pig to find all those details because it's kind of not a lot was really discussed about the uh, about the attempted shooting of Teddy Seif. It was kind of it was kind of mentioned, but there was a lot going on at the time, so it it kind of got hidden. So uh, I've I've covered everything you need to know in that case. Um, uh, the PFLP, the uh, Popular Front of the Liberation of Palestine, they took full responsibility for the shooting. They almost seemed a little bit proud. They're like, oh, yeah, we definitely did that. But you know what terrorist groups are like. They take credit for absolutely everything. I, I often think that if I stub my toe, that um, 
Osama bin Laden and his group uh, would claim full responsibility for it. They do that all the time, don't they? Something blows up and they go, they go oh, yeah, we're, uh, we take full responsibility. That was us. It's like, yeah, whatever. You'll see that crop up later on in this. Uh, they said that uh, Sif was one of the leaders of the Zionist movement, which perpetrated and is perpetrating crimes and massacres against our Palestinian people. Um, and they said uh, t- uh, Teddy Zeef was uh, shot in retaliation for Mossad's assassination in Paris of Mohamed Boudé, the PFLP leader. <sighs> Utter bollocks. It's tit for tat, isn't it? Um, it was from this point. Um, uh, this is the start of the kind of the legend of Carlos the Jackal because because he was wearing his, his furry hood and he'd got his big celebrity glasses on and his mask on and things like that. Um the butler almost gave away where he came from then um he gave a photo fit to the police and that's where all this started so the first photo fit you see is from uh, teddy steve's butler uh so after the bombings let's have a look at those so obviously 30th of december 1973 he uh attempted to shoot uh teddy Seif and failed massively uh, with a lot of his um his bombings joe's terrorist acts it's really hard to pin down which are his and which aren't he actually gave an uh an interview in 1979 to an arab arab uh, language publication called i'm not even going to pronounce that um but he has since denied giving that interview so he he claim he takes full responsibility for things then he'll turn and he'll just go well that's not me at all so the second you take him to court he goes oh no that's not me so he's he, i'm gonna be honest he's a massive coward uh i think i think anyone who thinks that he's a legend and a hero needs to be shot in the head the man is a twat and that's why i've used the word twat repeatedly in this episode if he doesn't like it fuck him uh so uh 24th of january 1974 uh as mentioned he hurled a bomb into the uh hapaulin bank which is an israeli bank in london it, it was on lawrence lane in the banking dis- district uh as he d- do you know shows what how incompetent he is he threw the bomb into the banking hall uh it hit, hit a light fitting it exploded behind a cashier and she was slightly injured but she wasn't she was uh, it said that she was uh, cut by some flying debris uh, the lights went off a bulb was smashed there was a loud bang a lot of people went oh and there ended up being a hole in the floor and uh, a partition and that was it i know people say terrorist i mean he is good at causing terror if if your idea of terror is making people scream but do you know He's really incompetent. If you look at the way he did that, he basically just lobbed it into a bank. And this is the way he acts. It's incompetence throughout. People go, oh, look, he he killed four people there. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Anyone can kill four people. You can get in your car tonight, drive it down the road, and you could run over 15, 20 people in a row, and no one will say, wow, you're great, aren't you? Everyone will just go, you're a shit driver. Yet he relishes this kind of shit uh we mentioned a few others in there uh obviously the the car bomb attacks against the newspapers that was the pflp has always claimed responsibility for it there was a little bit of damage to the offices but within the day they were back up and running again uh what else was there we've got the, this is still going on even today so the the two hand grenades thrown into the drugstore in paris the cafe Again, as you can see here, 
hand grenades, which are pretty kind of lazy weapons. They explode and they might cause some damage, but it's mostly it's mostly shrapnel. Uh, they were lobbed in, so uh, two people injured, two people killed, thirty injured. Uh, this is one of those ones where he, he said, "Oh, it wasn't anything to do with me." But um, do you know? Sometimes he do, he does like to claim that it is his as well. So uh, it's it's a real odd one that one. Uh, where's the interesting one? Here we go. Thirteenth of January, nineteen seventy-five. So this is literally a year after the shooting of Teddy Seif. Uh, I I took out his colleague in this because it th- sometimes. It, it's wrong to kind of add in an extra person who you don't need to know in a story so late in the game. Uh, so uh, 13th of January 1975 at Orly Airport, uh, Carlos and his colleague Johannes Fe- Weinrich, um, they fired two RPGs at an El Al uh, aircraft just as it was taken off. It missed... Uh, it hit. Uh, it says well. It says on the administration building, but it was actually a kind of a, 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 an empty storage building, uh, and w- w- it hit a DC nine, which was a Yugoslavian plane that was parked up. No one was on it, uh, so everyone was okay. It was lucky actually because the Israeli flight had one hundred and thirty six passengers on it. It was just taken off to go to New York, but they entirely missed it. Um, Police said a Yugoslavian steward, a French guard, and a French worker were slightly injured, but that was it. Which is amazing considering they've got fucking rocket propelled grenades. It's like that is maximum casualty damage. And what do they do? They hit an an empty building and an empty plane. Absolute twats. If if Carlos the Jackal decides, oh, I'm going to take Michael to court over this, I will accept that because then we will have to go to court and he will have to prove that he's not a twat. I would love to. I would spend all of my money just to sit there and have the courts go, right, prove that you're not an incompetent twat. Oh, that would take a long time to go through that case. Uh, so uh, where was it? Where was it? Yeah. So, um. Ah, uh, sorry, I'm trying to find the bit that I was looking for. Uh... No, that's fine. Sorry, I was, I was, I was reading that. Okay, so there was a second attack at Orly Airport as well, which is on the 19th of January, so that's three days later. Uh, they tried to do the same again. Uh, they ended up in a uh, entirely missed... Uh, uh, they missed another uh, airliner. This time they hit a car. Um absolute incompetence how could how could you miss an airliner with an rpg that's that's like saying that's like saying um that's like missing a brick wall that's in front of you whilst holding something i don't know something big my my brain's not working this morning something big it's kicking a football against the wall and then missing the whole wall that's right in front of you these guys are absolutely incompetent. Anyway, the second attack ended in a, a bit of a firefight between the police, and it was kind of a 17-hour hostage situation. Uh, there was loads of riot police there and things like that. Uh, where is it? Now, with um, with the f- one of the RPGs actually hitting uh, one of the planes, um, because the plane they hit was a Yugoslavian plane, um, even though the PFLP took full credit for it because it was a yugoslavian 
plane, uh, some Croatian freedom fighters took responsibility for that first attack, which entirely discredited the PFLP. So who? So you, they're kind of they're going, oh, this was definitely us. We we did this massive fuck up, and then the Croatian freedom fighters went, oh no, we did the fuck up. This is our fuck up. We love this. They can't wait to say, oh, we love the fuck up. Um, anyway. Moving on, uh, I, I did at the start think about turning this into a two-part episode, but I I, I realised that the the real the really important bit was just the London bit, the Teddy bit that I wanted to focus on. I didn't want to overcomplicate it, so there's a there's a, more of a London bit here which I briefly glossed over, but we can dive into that now. So, twenty uh, seventh of June, nineteen seventy five. This is what. This is the shooting that uh, Carlos was later tried for. So, uh, as mentioned, he was in Paris. I'm not going to go into full details about this, but he was in Paris and he ended up killing uh, uh, an informer uh, who was a a PFLP contact who'd actually become a French informer. I said importer by mistake then. He's not an importer. Uh, And he killed uh, two uh, intelligence agents as well. Um, He fled Paris... And that's in Paris. They found his kind of cachet of arms that he got in Paris. As mentioned in the story, he's kind of got girlfriends everywhere. He uses their flats to hide his bags. And that's where um, he keeps kind of his guns and his weapons, which will come in useful later on. Uh, there they found two machine pistols, 10 automatic, 35 uh uh, some uh, loaded magazines, 28 hand grenades, some sticks of dynamite, some plastic explosives and some homemade bombs, as well as some forged passports with many aliases, including one as Carlos Martinez. Um, so uh, when he'd moved to London, he actually met, uh, as mentioned in the story, he kind of met loads of different kind of ladies and, and people like that. And one of them was called called uh, Maria Tobin de Mero. Uh, they actually met at the, um, I think it was the Colombian Embassy in London. They kind of got to know each other. Uh, they'd become friends for quite a long time, and she introduced her to Angela, oh, Angela Otiola, uh, who was 23 at the time, Spanish-born. She was kind of a waitress, but kind of left-leaning, and that's kind of the type that Carlos liked. He had girlfriends everywhere, and he'd kind of use and abuse them for the, you know, to. Uh, uh, Stash's weapons. Even though she got a boyfriend at the time, he, he was kind of quite close to her. Uh, and she was living in the top floor flat uh, at 24B Hereford Road in Bayswater, which is just off the Bayswater Road. So, um, as mentioned, Carlos had just done that shooting in Paris. He's on the run. Um, in the, in there is kind of uh, links to kind of who he is at the, at the point. The police still don't know who he is. Um, and on the 1st of July 1975, Angela's boyfriend Barry went into the flat. It was a really hot summer and he started noticing a really odd smell. It was like it smells caustic, it smells chemically. What the hell is it? Um, had a look, good look around and then he found a black hole door that was hidden. Um, and when he opened it up, uh, it had been hidden behind a bookcase. And when he opened it up, it was full of lots of different things as you can expect. So... Uh, it was not a nine millimeter Browning pistol with two magazines, which he could have used to shoot Teddy Seif, but he didn't. Uh, he got the the uh, Soviet-made uh, pistol that was there, which was used to shoot Teddy. Uh, a silencer, which he didn't use that day. Two magazines, a Mauser with two magazines, uh, eighty-two rounds of nine millimeter ammunition, seventy-five rounds of uh, seven point six five ammunition, and thirty rounds of point two two. Uh, 
Um, they also found uh, a Chilean passport in the name of Adolf Jose Müller Berner. That's easy to say when you're going through customs. Well done. Uh, and three stamps uh, which could be used for placing British entry on each passport. He had six aliases. Uh, he had a Kuwaiti driving license and another passport in the name of Hector Hugo Dupont. Um, as mentioned, they also found the death list of the prominent British Jews, which included Lord and Lady Harewood, the du the Earl of Drog... Drog... Who cares? Uh, <laughs> Lady Elliot of Harewood. That was already on there. Uh, Bernard Delfont, who's the theatre empresario. Norman Delmar, the conductor. Lord Sainsbury, Teddy Seif, obviously. Uh, John Osborne, the dramatist. Uh, who else is that? Yehudi Menuhin, the violinist. That's always useful to have on that list. Yeah. Oh, who are we going to kill? Yehudi Menuhin. Brilliant. Uh, there was loads of different. There's at least thirty different names on there, but that's what they found in there. And they also found a copy of Day of the Jackal, which is the second part of how he got his name. So uh, everyone does think that um, he's called De he's called the Jackal because he's like a jackal and he creeps around and he's always savage. He's not. It's just it's tenuous links. Why he was called Carlos and why he was called the Jackal, all tenuous. But it's what the press wanted. They were looking for this kind of bullshit. They wanted kind of a name to pin everything on. And they're like, oh, this is exciting. We can call him. It's the same as Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper, Carlos the Jackal. There's very little difference. It's just a a name that the press jumped on. They went fantastic. We'll have that. Hence. Ever since then, lots of murderers get called the the Ripper. Lots of um, terrorists get called the Jackal. Same as it, same as in you know, whenever there's a political scandal uh, in America, it always has the suffix of Gate after Watergate. Why? Because it makes people go, oh, it makes them remember something from the past, and they go, oh, this is exciting. It makes it more exciting than it actually is when it isn't. Um, uh, obviously, the bag was found. Carlos, being an utter shit, decided to dump his friend. So Angela and her boyfriend, Barry and Maria, who was his previous girlfriend, he basically dumped them. They were taken to Harrow Road Police Station. Uh, they were, um, at the start, they were initially saying that kind of uh, Maria and Angela had uh, links to the Japanese Red Army and the Bader-Meinhof gang. But none of this was true. It was kind of, you know. They were just kind of left-leaning students and, you know, uh, Maria went on to become quite a respected lawyer. So this is all all BS. They tried to charge them at the start for kind of concealing the guns, but there was no real proof that they even knew that the guns were there. It was only through, by smelling the C4 explosives that were that were sweating. That was the problem. Is That's what Barry smelt was the C4 explosives that were sweating. It was getting quite dangerous and it had been, it had been hidden inside Angela's flat. So uh, that's pretty bad pretty bad oh what else have we got uh it, it, life started to get there, there is actually a, a, a drama series i think it's just called the jackal or whatever uh it's it's on telly you can, you can learn more about his life on that it's, uh, quite a lot of it is kind of self-aggrandizing bullshit of people who go oh the jackal brilliant great oh he's a legend Ugh. all that kind of shit but if you accept him for the kind of the the turd that he is the kind of celebrity focused turd who basically flits between different groups that's what happened it, it got to a point in his life where kind of 1970s onwards where he'd fucked off so many people like so many terrorist groups who, who basically if you're a terrorist group the idea is that you are not important 
your mission is important your kind of ethos is important what the terrorist group is about if you're looking to um uh make people aware about that you know uh, your lands are being destroyed by invaders and things like that that's your job that's what you do you don't draw attention to yourself you don't make a name for yourself you don't get your face out there which is you know why a lot a lot of one of the big reasons why people uh, in terrorist group hate Osama bin Laden yes he's big and important but you know he's a face and you're not meant to be a face that's the point you're meant to be anonymous um so uh, 1975 onwards basically he's running out of options um he, his face is everywhere uh his name is everywhere p- the p- police are kind of on the lookout for him from from different countries all around the world and he's running out of places to go so he's he's uh he's trying different kind of uh tactics you know, he's taking hostages you got the opec summit you can read about that there's a lot of crap going on there and then and then 1976 yes he, he ends up in Aden which is one of the few countries that would accept him um uh, what else was there Do you know he's he's still giving kind of interviews here and there make trying to make a name for himself but things are getting a really really quite shitty um I don't think I'll go into the end bit really if if you want to learn more about Carlos Jackal do I, I find him really tedious yeah there's lots of bombing and shit but it's kind of like oh it's just a twat he really is he loves himself there's some pictures i'll show if he there's a a three-part picture that you can show online which um shows carl the jackal and it shows his photo fit then uh two later photos and in every photo you want to punch him in the face he's got that arrogant look on his face like oh aren't i great and it's like no you're not you're just a a twat with daddy issues who basically it's like oh daddy please love me please love me and, oh. and that unfortunately that is what we see with a lot of uh kind of uh people who become uh leaders dictators a lot of serial killers things like that. There's, there's mummy and daddy issues going on where they just haven't felt the love therefore they have to lash out at other people and i think carlos is a prime example that if his daddy instead of going you're going to do this you're going to do that uh, you will you will uh, you know um he probably would have ended up as a nicer guy. He's clearly got some intelligence about him, so he probably could have gone on, gone on to have done something different and interesting. But he didn't. He decided to become a twat. Yes, I will add the word twat in as many times as I can. Uh, French Interior Minister uh, said that Carlos was responsible for the killing of at least 83 people, 15 in Paris. Uh, uh, Scotland Yard detectives uh, had travelled to Paris to interview Carlos about the shooting of Teddy Seif. Uh, Britain has failed to request his extradition. If you can appreciate it, Paris have got him for all these kind of uh, potential murders and bombings and things like that. And you know, what's the chance that they're going to give give him up for a an attempted shooting in London, of which? Uh, the victim ended up with what's little more than a cold sore on his lip it's uh it is it's interesting there's a picture that i'll post online and it's uh you'll see teddy lying in bed like a couple of days after he's been shot and he's sitting there in his pajamas and his wife is next to him comforting him and he's sitting upright and he looks all right and you're just like is he is that actually just after he was shot and then you, if you look really carefully you can see a small little hole like on on the top of one of his lips and that's it that's all all that happened basically it deflected off his uh off his teeth and hit him in the jaw and that's it so uh 
Well done, Carlos the Jackal, you absolute incompetent twat. There we go. I tell you what, let's all do it. Let's just say, let's just say from now on, every time someone says the name Carlos the Jackal, we we all have to say twat at the end of his name. Carlos the Jackal, twat. I think that sums him up perfectly. I'm going to have a swig of tea. Mm. Oh, cup of tea. Lovely. Um, so, oh. Oh, looking forward to... Uh, oh, j- just to say, if Neil Neil Orange Peel is listening to this, I will be coming up coming up uh, to our, our old neck of the woods. Uh, start of June. I've had a word with Mr. Harris. I'm coming up to see my dad and my stepmom, but uh, hopefully we'll all meet up with uh, Jace for a couple of beers. Socially distanced, obviously. So if you're free, we'll, we'll do our meet-up. Right, quiz time. Uh, let's go through the answers. Question number one. Where in London did Carlos live with his mother and brothers? The answer was Kensington High Street. Ooh, very posh. Question number two. Which two universities did Carlos go to? Albeit briefly. Uh, The first one was the London School of Economics. And the second was the Patrice Lumumba University in Moscow. You can really see a difference there between his mum and his dad, can't you? His mum sent him to, to uh, LSC and his dad sent him to Patrice Lumumba University. Great. Well done, daddy. Uh, question three. Carlos's first name was Ilyich. But what were his two brothers' names? They were, good South American names, uh, Vladimir and Lenin. Well done, Dad. Oh, you're doing a bang-up job there, aren't you? Well done. Uh, as they were all named after Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. Although, if you look at it, Carlos's name of Ilyich is spelt incorrectly. It's not spelt the same as Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. Uh, question number four. What was Teddy's nickname? He was the Quiet Shadow. It's nice. There's some nice pictures online of Teddy. It's hard to get them because when you type in Seif, you tend to get uh, his brother, his brother's picture, or you get Marcus, who is uh, Israel's son. But if you, I'll, I'll post them online, and Ted t- instantly when you you look at Carlos the Jackal, you think twat because he is a twat. Um, but when you look at Teddy, instantly you think, what a lovely man. He looks like a lovely man. And then when you learn about his life, you go, he is, isn't he? He's a lovely man. Uh, question five. What did Teddy say saved his life? He referred to them and his, as his milk marketing board teeth. As uh, Around that time, uh, there used to be loads of adverts about you know, encouraging people to drink milk because it makes your teeth nice and strong. Uh, one of the things that did actually save his life was that uh, his wife uh, ran into the room, and even though Teddy was shot in the face, if you if you cut if you cut your face or your head, because the uh, capillaries are quite close to the top of the skin, you tend to bleed a lot. Uh, and because he'd been shot in the mouth, um, a lot of the blood was going into his mouth. So his wife actually turned him over uh, onto his face. So therefore, he didn't choke on his blood. So actually, it was her as well who actually saved his life. Uh, Question six. Which infamous terrorist attack did Carlos claim he was part of but wasn't? 
That's the uh, 1972 Munich Olympics massacre. Like all terrorists, they the same as gangsters as well. They take full credit for things that are a success. Uh, but in this case, as we see with some of these bellens, bellens and twats, uh, they just take credit for any old shit. They really do. Uh, question seven. Who wrote the novel Day of the Jackal? It was Frederick Forsyth. See, I can say it there. I struggled to say Frederick Forsyth's thriller Day of the Jackal. I st- struggled to say that shit in this bloody episode uh uh the 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 film day of the jackal the original one came out in 1973 so this is this is the same year as uh the shooting of teddy seif uh uh, episode uh question eight teddy had two wives name them see i did good i didn't spoil it uh the second second wife was lois and his first wife was Maisie. Question nine. Where did Teddy's butler come from? He was from Portugal. And question ten. Why was Carlos known as Carlos? Because the Arab guerrilla fighters uh, wanted to mock his South American roots. And they couldn't think of another name geniuses geniuses so they opted for carlos there we go good that's all done that was a long uh uh thingamajig uh extra mile sorry about that we did a lot to get through anyway cool okay that's done uh we'll be back next week have yourself a good week stay safe be good lots of love bye-bye hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter pretty litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness it's the world's smartest kitty litter go to prettylitter.com and use code acast for 20 percent off your first order and a free cat toy terms and conditions apply see site for details Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.